At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Support for Ear Hustle comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash earhustle. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash earhustle. Odoo. Modern management made simple. The following episode contains language and content that might not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. You have reached the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation at San Quentin State Prison. Are you on speaker or you got the hand to your head? All right, is this better sound? That's a way better sound. Uh, do re mi? Do re mi fa so. I don't think I can hit the high note today. This is Lieutenant Sam Robinson. This is Lieutenant Sam Robinson at San Quentin State Prison. I would say I do approve this episode. I approve this And I don't approve this episode. No, no, I'm messing with you. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've went back and forth about this episode because there is no country music in this episode. I will approve this episode. Yes, I do approve this story. And for all of you out there and your hustle man, stay safe. Hey, what's up, my friend? You're still sounding a little scratchy over there, Nige. I know. This is taking forever. I think I've got to rest my voice a little bit so that I'm ready for season 11. Well, not so fast, Nige. I mean, we do have a bonus episode to produce. Yes, we do. Many of you heard at the end of our final episode of season 10 that Lieutenant Sam Robinson, San Quentin's longest serving public information officer, who has signed off on every single episode of Ear Hustle since we started, is hanging up the badge and retiring. I mean, honestly, Ear Hustle wouldn't exist without him. True. But in all those years, we've never given Sam his own episode. So that's what we're doing today. I'm Nigel Poor. I'm Erline Woods. And this is Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Can you tell us about your first day on the job? So I remember you drive up and you don't even have an ID yet. You just have this uniform on and you say, hey, I'm brand new. And as I parked down the parking lot, I parked closest to the shoreline. And as I sat there in my car waiting for my time to go up to the training center, I remember just looking out on the water and seeing the sun 
glisten off the water, right? And I say, wow, this is where I work at. And then I turn to the right. Ooh, they go to prison. <laughs> I don't know what that's like, but this water view is <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> so, so that was day one. And when you came in on your first day, did you think, okay, this is my career? I see myself here for 20 plus years. No. When I arrived, I really thought I was going to do this thing short term. I didn't go to school looking to be involved in the criminal justice system at all. It was something I really fell into. Um, I was hardworking college student, struggling to, to pay my tuition. And I had relatives who worked here. And one of my uncles gave me an application and said, hey man, you can make a whole heck of a lot more money working in prison than you can as a security guard trying to work your way through school. <laughs> he said, hey, you grew up in East Oakland. It's the same guys. If you talk to people in your neighborhood, they say, prison's not gonna be hard for you. Just because the guy talked loud, I knew Culturally, <laughs> that is just how guys talk, uh, whereas other people took more of an affront to it. Over the years, Sam has had 23 relatives working at San Quentin. And Erlon, we've actually met um, some other Robinsons. Quite a few of them, actually. <laughs> yes. I remember Sam's uncle, Joe Robinson. Ooh, yes. And I can say... He's a character, one that I want to interview one day. Someday. And he's very different from Sam in one specific way. Yes, yes. I have almost never, ever used a cuss word inside the prison. My uncle starts off with him. <laughs> That's just the way he greets people. Is by, uh... Oh, BHS. <laughs> Something like that. Because <laughs> yeah, I know uh, when he come in town, you don't know what's going to come out of his mouth to anybody. <laughs> yeah, he greets you that way. He wake up in the morning. He's ready to go. It's a, it's a, it's a trip. Well, the first officer I worked with, someone looked at my my nameplate. They said, oh, you want those Robinsons? Yeah. And he started cussing me out, right? He's cussing me out and giving me a hard time. And I was like, I was like, this dude has lost his mind. <laughs> and so 10, 15 minutes later, my uncle comes over. And what does he do? He starts being himself, right? So again, I've never been a cusser or anything like that, but I have a sharp wit myself, so I know how to give it back. Sam's college degree was actually in engineering. Yeah, I think he had very different plans for what he was going to do with his life. I thought that I would do it no longer than a year, and I would just have these cool stories I'd be able to tell from my time working as an officer at San Quentin. And... It didn't work out that way for me. A couple of weeks after being on the ground here and being engaged, I knew that this was going to be my career. What, what, do you, what were those things that you saw that made it go from, I'm going to be for a year to like, this is what I want to dedicate my working life to? I think I was having an impact just as an officer on the ground, dealing with people every day. For me, <laughs> most of what I did and most of what I've done has been through my ability to be able to communicate with people. Um, it's not the physical part, it's the mental part. And the mental part is challenging. That's a, that's, that's a different type of workload. That's a different type of toil, right? I mean, it's easy to go up and handcuff a guy and lead him around. It's more challenging to talk to someone and communicate with them and to try to get them to see your way. Sam started his career at San Quentin in the Adjustment Center, but after a few years, he switched over to death row. And we've talked about this on the show several times. 
Death Row at San Quentin is a totally separate part of the facility. Guys in there rarely leave their cells, and when they do, it's usually just to this small kind of separate yard that's just for them. So there's really no contact with the general prison population. Yep. In fact, anytime someone from death row moves from one part of the prison to another, they're escorted in handcuffs. And guys from the main line ain't supposed to even look at them. Yeah, I mean, you're actually literally supposed to turn around and face the other way. I do it, too, and it's, it's kind of an eerie feeling. I'm just curious. Did this ever come in your mind, like, is somebody up here innocent? I think everybody wonders that, right? But I'll tell you what's really interesting is early in my career, I didn't want to know what a guy was on death row for. And I didn't want to know because I thought it may interfere with my ability to be able to deal with them. And then eventually it, it proved true. I mean, there are the guys that you know. Richard Ramirez walking around, you know Richard Ramirez is you know, why he's there on death row. Uh, but there was this other guy I can think of. He's on death row. Uh, he took a liking to me. Very, very respectful. But he always wanted me to read his paperwork. Paperwork is basically an individual central file that says what that person is in prison for. Well, there was one day in where the housing unit was locked down, and I walked by this guy's cell, and he gave me his paperwork. And essentially what it was, he was a guy that never really grew up and left, right? He was always at home, kind of getting in trouble here and there. And there was one day he went over his neighbor's house, as he had done many times before. He asked the old lady, could he mow her lawn? And she's like, oh, yeah, 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 come on in. He walks in the kitchen with the old lady. And what he told the investigators is that something in his mind told him to pick up the phone and hit the old lady over the back of the head. And so he picked up the phone, hit the old lady over the back of the head. And then he said something in his mind told him to rip her clothes off. And so he ripped her clothes off. And then he raped her. And he pulled $10 out of her purse and then ran off. For... Six, eight months, I could no longer talk to the guy. I couldn't see the dude, right? What he did was horrific, and it really interfered with my ability to be able to interact with the guy as I had before. It solidified my thoughts about reading and what a guy was there for, right? It helped me to mature, to realize that people were here for something, and you treat people evenly no matter what. That was, I guess, one of the, kind of one of those learning curves early on in my career. I wonder why he wanted you to read his paperwork. I mean, did he not understand what he had done? To this day, I don't think that he understood what he'd done. I think sometimes people don't want to believe that they've done what they've done, right? And maybe there's somewhere in your heart that you think you've done it, but I think you try to block out or shield yourself from the worst day in your life and the worst day in this other person's life. Um, so I think that he was truly resting in that place. Sam was working as lieutenant of death row when the co-founder of the Crips, Stanley Tookie Williams, was given a date for his execution by lethal injection. I remember he was respectful and he knew it was coming. But when he left the housing unit that day, he yelled up to the people in the building that they had served him as death warrant, right? And you could hear like this gasp and people shouting back down and it was like, the unit kind of erupted for a minute. And then shortly after that, it was almost silence. After that, things got really hostile between the correctional officers and the Crips on death row. Sam knew something was up. 
about two weeks before the execution, one of the incarcerated guys said he was willing to come talk to the administration. He sat down with me and he said, hey man, look. He said, we're gonna kill you guys. And this is how we're gonna do it. And he laid out this elaborate plan about how the Crips had put together a viable plan to murder staff at San Quentin as retribution for the execution of Tucky Williams. As the warden, my captain, myself, and some of my staff were walking past their yard, they're gonna come out and they're gonna stab us and stab us and stab us and stab us. They were gonna martyr themselves as retribution for executing Tucky Williams. I've always had this thing of being casual with people or, you know, being open and free and just connecting with a guy in some type of way, whether it's sports or whatever the case may be, right? But it's really, really humbling when you can look a man in the eye, you think you have this, this connection with him, right? And you say, hey, brother, this is me and you. Are <laughs> we all right? And the man look you back in the eye and say, yeah, we all right. But ultimately, he's planning um, to put your name on a tombstone After working on death row for 10 years, Sam moved to the GP, the general population, or the main line. Is there something that you've seen that you would never forget that you've seen on the job? Man, I don't know if I can pick one. (laughs) You're talking about 26 years worth of stuff. (laughs) Jeez. Oh, man. I remember responding to an incident on the yard. After that guy got stabbed and it didn't look like he was going to make it. And I looked at his face. It didn't look like the face of a person, right? He was just, his man was brutalized. You know, first thing I did is put my hand on like his shoulder, right? And said, hey, I'm here. I got you. We're going to get you off this yard. And this was a guy who was a devout racist and Aryan Brotherhood member and just all that, right? I knew if he had the ability to be able to harm me that he would have. But here I was, the black guy that was going out here to rescue him from the situation, from people that he was aligned with. Um, When he took that deep breath, I knew there was comfort in him knowing that I was there. It really, really humbled me that people are capable of doing that type of damage to each other. That's kind of one of those things that'll always stick with me. This is why we have prisons. In 2007, Sam became the Public Information Officer, or PIO, of San Quentin. Why did you want to become a PIO? The reason why I want to become a PIO is because a guy who was my predecessor, I thought he had the coolest job in the world. Vernell Crittenden was the most elusive guy at the prison. And I was like, if this guy had done it for 11 years, he's been the only PIO I've known, I said, it got to be a good job. I don't know what he do, but it got to be a good gig. And so that's why I raised my hand and said, hey, I want to give it a try. And lo and behold, it's the best job I've ever had, hands down. But also, if things go south, it's on you, It's on you. And so that's the the other thing, right? I've always known that I've been one statement away from being replaced. (laughs) One bad statement from being replaced. And I'll tell you this. I actually had one. We had a stabbing here at San Quentin that resulted in someone's death. And as media do, they come to the gate and they want the story, right? And I think casually, as I was talking to a reporter, they were talking about what the weapon looked like. And 
instead of saying an inmate manufactured weapon, I mentioned what we call in prison. What do we call weapons in prison? A shank. A shank or what else? <laughs> bone crusher. Bone crusher. I mentioned well, bone crusher. And so when I mentioned bone crusher, to heck with a guy being stabbed and dying. Bone crusher became a story. And so, <laughs> and so this guy got stabbed with a bone crusher. And this whole, whole side story about what bone crushers look like, right? I'm like, oh, oh man. So, so the director calls to, hey, I thought we were supposed to <laughs> not use uh, slang. I thought we were supposed to use official language. I was like, yeah, I know. I, I messed up. <laughs> Oh man! And so I survived it, Uh, but one of my old wardens, uh, every time he sees me, says "Bone Crusher Robinson." You know the new title of this episode: Bone Crusher Crusher Robinson. (laughs) Oh man! My first interaction with Sam was when I was teaching a history of photography class for the Prison University Project. And there were some images I wanted to bring in to show the guys. But of course, to bring anything in, you have to first get it approved by Sam. And they said, Sam, they say, look through the book, see if this book is appropriate. And I looked through the book. I was like, this book is not appropriate for our purposes. Little naked people in there and (laughs) this and that. Nope, the book don't work for prison. And so my warden said, Sam says it's not good. It's not good. And it goes all the way up to the secretary, the California Department of Corrections. And the secretary says, I understand what you guys are saying, but let the book in. And so Nigel comes in, she becomes his volunteer, she teaches her class, right? Well, years later, she comes to Sam Robbins and says, hey, Sam, I want to do this podcast. What do you think? You don't mean anything to me. Is there any more work? <laughs> Is there any more work? Will there be any more work for me? <laughs> oh, no, no. Bit of a work for you. Bit of a work. Okay, cool. Yeah, all right, go ahead, right? And we move forward. But it's amazing if the department had stuck with Sam Robinson and said, hey, no, this book is no good, <laughs> Nigel would probably not have continued. And if Nigel had not have continued, then Erline would have just been stuck in TV. And it's still been in blue. Maybe still be in blue. <laughs> hey, hey, I'd still be talking about, yeah, this, don't, this dude don't talk. Don't talk. He's just over there. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you, because the secretary said, yeah. Then Nigel comes in. She gets back here. And then we're in the same world and zone. And she comes to me. And then I'm now in a position where I might be able to say, yeah, yeah, let's, let's, let's do something that's different. Let's do something that's creative. Let's do something that's more abstract. We got this thing. Let's do it. And lo and behold, at the end of my career, I sit down with you. You guys are 70 million downloads in, <laughs> whatever the case may be. And it's been an honor from my initial no. <laughs> that we're in a place where we've just been yes, 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 yes. And it's opened up the world to what it's actually like in prison from the perspective of the people who are here, the people who volunteer here, the people who live here. It's been, it's been amazing and definitely honored to be a part of that process. What are you going to miss? I'm going to miss everything. I am. I'm going to miss everything. I'm going to miss coming down here. I'm going to miss when a guy is going sideways in his cell and they call on 
Sam Robinson to go and to to deal with that guy. And I look at the guy, he's like, oh, dude. <laughs> and just know that someone's there that, you know, is willing to honestly have a conversation with them. I'm gonna miss sitting down with my counterparts, with my, with my coworkers and just sharing the experience from, from their perspective. And I'm gonna miss this place. I grew up here. I grew up here. So what advice do you have for us that you're going to be leaving us? What, what can you do to, to uh, help us feel safe without you? <laughs> you guys are safe. You guys are good. Uh, I tell you, keep telling stories. Keep challenging us. Don't miss the mark. Don't back off from who you are. Stay challenging the guys inside. I mean, there have been so many times that the guys inside have been challenged by those questions, right? Um and stay relevant. We had one last surprise for Sam, something he's been asking for for years. You know, we do a music episode almost every season. Mm -hmm. And you said that we never do country music. Mm -hmm. Well, before you leave, we wanted to remedy that. So we have something to play for you. Oh, okay. Are you mm -hmm. going to hit it? Erlon, I mean, honest to God, I don't know why we never had a country music song on any episode. I mean, Sam asked for it for years, so we finally had to do him a solid. We asked our friend Boots to play Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison Blues. So here he is with a cat named John Zareski on the fiddle. I hear the train a-coming, rolling round the bend. I ain't seen the sun shine since I don't know when I'm stuck in Folsom Prison Time keeps dragging on And that train just keeps on moving On down to San Antonio When I was just a baby My mama told me, son Always be a good boy, don't you ever play with guns And I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die When I hear the lonesome whistle, I hang my head and I cry Come on, fiddle! Sam ain't stopped smiling yet. Because <laughs> I'm thinking finally you guys have crossed the bar. Yeah. <laughs> went across the speed bump. Jeez. Boots, you are the man. <laughs> like an episode of music forever, and they forget San Quentin's tie to country music, man, and Johnny Cash, and... Merle Haggard and man, I mean, every other genre in the world, right? I mean, every other thing. I mean, somebody with a flute and everything. <laughs> if they feed me from this prison and that railroad train was mine, I think I'll move it over a little further down the line. 
far from Folsom Prison That's where I want to stay And I let that lonesome whistle Blow my blues away So when, when it gets finally mixed, you'll get a, hear a copy of it. Well, it's not like I'm going to just stop listening to Ear Hustle, right? I, I mean, hope I, you won't. <laughs> oh, please, come on. <laughs> Lord, I let that lonesome whistle Blow my blues away Boots, you're the man. Thank you, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Man, Erlon, you know I hate saying goodbye to people, and it, this one's tough. This is really an end of an era for your hustle. And Sam, we're going to miss you a lot. I ain't going to miss him. You're not going to miss him? Hard, hard. I know you're going to miss him. That's the homie now. We call each other. We we, we chop it up. You know what I'm saying? But he's been there from the beginning, you know? I mean, he's he's like a foundational corner. He is. He got that, what is that? That silky smooth voice? Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I've learned so much about him. Like, I can meet him now. You know when he, when you ask him a question and he laughs really hard? Mm -hmm. That means no. Uh Aha. Yep. And when he's, what, thinking about it? He's just yeah. looking at the sky. Uh, Let me think about that. Mm. And I also going to miss, like, you know, you walk into San Quentin, you knock on his door, you catch up with him, and then I, I go down and work. I'm, I'm going to miss all those things. Best of luck to you, Sam. We wish you the best, man. Yep, we do. Bye, Sam. Do you remember the first time you met him? The first time I met Lieutenant Robinson was being interviewed for a documentary for the Thousand Mile Club. And he listened to my story and next thing you know, I'm getting interviewed for the tour program here in San Quentin. And I've been his tour guide for six years now. The way he made me feel as a human and the opportunities that he provided. Without him, I wouldn't be as ready for society as I am now. I just can't even stop. You guys are gonna make me tear up here in a minute, man. Knock it off. He went to my graduation. He, he's, you know, I never want him to look at me like, man, I wasted my time with this guy. It's not gonna happen. He's not gonna feel like my parents did, ever. It's funny, I have the same feelings. Like, if I ever let him down or broke his trust, oh, that would be devastating. No, after not having no trust, I'm never letting go of that again. Never. Never. I'm gonna miss him. Can anyway. you introduce yourself? My name's Tommy Wickard. H77857. I'm really sad he's leaving. We all are sad that he's leaving. But, hey, it's, we all got to parole sometimes, right? <laughs> Hopefully. <Yes>. Hopefully. <laughs> This episode was produced by me, Nigel Poor, Erlon Woods, Neroli Price, and Amy Standen, with help from Bruce Wallace and Rasan New York Thomas. It was sound designed and engineered by me, Erlon Woods. It features music by Antoine Williams, Rashid Zinneman, and David Jossie. Amy Standen edits our show, Shabnam Sigmund is our managing producer, and Bruce Wallace is our executive producer. Thanks to Warden Ron Broomfield, and we are very excited to introduce... Lieutenant Barry signing off by herself on her first Ear Hustle episode. 
You sure she gonna sign off? Oh my god. You think she wouldn't sign off on a Sam episode? On her predecessor? <laughs> Let's find out. I am Lieutenant Giamare Berry, the public information officer at San Quentin State Prison, and I approve this episode. This episode was made possible by the Jess Trust, working to amplify the voices, vision, and power of communities that are transforming the justice system. Ear Hustle is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX. Radiotopia is a collection of independent, listener-supported podcasts. Some of the best podcasts around. To hear more, go to radiotopia.fm. Please know that we are hard at work on our next season, coming out on March 1st. And Erlon, hopefully... I'm going to sound normal by then. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but we don't voice shame, so you're good. <laughs> okay, thank you. In the meantime, you can keep up with the show by subscribing to our newsletter, The Lowdown, at earhustlesq.com slash newsletter. And of course, keep up with us on all the socials at earhustlesq. I'm Nigel Poor. And I'm Erline Woods. Goodbye, Goodbye Sam. Sam. Hey, Ear Hustlers, Nigel and Erlon here to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of the Food Lab and The Walk and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. This show sounds like one I really need in my life. I mean, Erlon, I love to cook. And, you know, my cooking's fine, but man, would I love to level up and have a podcast tell me how to do it. Kenji and Deb obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create the perfect recipe. That's something that I always need, a perfect recipe. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform now. Radio Tokyo from PR.